Hey everybody, welcome to Therapy for Humans, the podcast where if you're not careful, you might just pick up some tips on how to survive as a more or less psychologically intact human in the modern world. My name is Rowan, and I'll be your host. Welcome to episode five of Podcast for Humans. It's Tuesday. I hope you voted. That's all I'm going to say about that. We're going to start off with an email today. If you'd like your email answered on the podcast, please email me at rowan at therapyforhumanspodcast.com. You can also call in at 1-844-DURANGO. That's 1-844-387-2646. And that's a voicemail only line. So don't get nervous about people picking up the phone. It's just a voicemail. Talk as long as you want. I'll edit it down if I need to, and I'll see if I can answer your questions. Okay, so we get an email about, um, well, I'll just read it to you. So she says, I'm writing about my husband. He lost his job a little over a year ago, and he just sits around playing video games all day. I can't get him to do anything. I work all day and then come home and have to make dinner and pick up the house. How do I deal with this? Well, thanks for your email. Uh, I'm going to guess that the issue actually isn't as much with video games as it is with your husband. It sounds like he's depressed. Many people use video games as an escape. If you're a gamer, you know that you can lose yourself in games for hours or days at a time. If you don't play video games, that probably seems baffling and ridiculous, but trust me, it's true. Uh, So it's pretty easy to develop an addiction to video games, but what that person is usually craving is actually escape. So, and, you know, you said that he had been out of work for over a year, so I'm just guessing that things are not happy in his brain. Um, So it's time to have a serious conversation with him. Um, Not a talk where you come after him for not doing a damn thing all day, since I'm guessing you've already done that and it hasn't worked or you wouldn't have emailed me. So have a real heart-to-heart. Something like, hey, babe, I'm worried about you. I know it's been hard since you lost your job. I want to help you make some changes. Talk to me about where you're at. Don't shame him. Don't blame him. Don't berate him for being a lazy piece of shit. Let him know that things need to change and that you are in it together. Ask him if he thinks he might be depressed. Ask him if he'd like to go talk to someone. Like me. (laughs) Make sure he knows you're not giving up on him, but that the way things are aren't sustainable. You can't keep it up. Maybe set up a chore chart for both of you so there's some reasonable expectations set up on a daily basis. This is something that I suggest to a lot of the couples that I work with. Um, Sometimes just having clarity around who is supposed to be doing what during the week can head off a lot of arguments. I'd also be curious about things like his hygiene and if he's being social. Um, If those things are not good or if they're different than they used to be, then that would further support my hunch that he's depressed. Get him into therapy. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about depression um, in general and more specifically suicide. And if that's something that's hard for you to hear about, then you might want to stop listening or skip ahead. Um, So here in La Plata County, we have the unhappy distinction of being either number one or number two in the state for the incidence of suicide. Uh, I'm not sure the exact ranking as of today, um, but I know we usually float between first and second. There's a lot of speculation around why we have such a high suicide rate in this area, but The bottom line is, if someone in your life is behaving in a way that is making you wonder if they're okay, then follow up on that shit. Ask them if they're thinking about killing themselves. Ask them if they have a plan. And if they have a plan, do they have the means to carry it out? Do they have a time frame? 
you will not, I repeat, you will not talk someone into killing themselves by asking these questions. If they are that far along the road towards suicide, then asking those questions will only help them. If they're not serious about it, or if it's not on their mind, then those questions are not going to all of a sudden tip them into a place where they want to kill themselves. You'd be surprised at how much information people will actually give you about their suicidal thoughts if you just ask them. And having some suicidal thoughts does not mean that you're in imminent danger and need to be hospitalized. Most of us have had some thoughts like that at some point. So don't be afraid to ask really specific questions. And if you feel like they are in danger, get them to call the Access Crisis Hotline, which is 970-247-5245. If you are not in the Durango area, there's a national hotline. It's 1-800-273-8255. Or bring them to the ATU or to the hospital. Uh, ATU stands for Acute Treatment Unit. Um, you can also bring them to the emergency room. But do something. Just have the conversation. It could save their lives. I had a span of about six months last year when I was working with a client who lost their child to suicide and then a child who had lost their parent to suicide, and I saw them back-to-back. And it was just a brutal and heart-wrenching juxtaposition to hear their stories of how sad they were and how why and how their loved ones had made this choice and how much guilt they were carrying around that. Suicide is a really complicated grief. There are things in the mix that just aren't there with accidents or death due to illness. Uh, Suicide is often an impulse act. So if you're worried about someone who also has substance abuse issues, that raises the stakes even higher. If you know they have guns in the house, ask them if you can hold them for them until they're feeling better. I don't have any issues with guns. I'm not going to get into a gun control debate. I can't really get into a debate since nobody talks to me. I just sit here and talk to you. <laughs> but let them know that you're there for them. And if there are things that you can do to make their environment more safe while they're going through that, then do that. Okay, let's move on. So we had a parenting question come in this week. Um, they said, uh, Rowan, I just had a baby recently and I work in a local high school. I see a broad range of kids with a diversity of attitudes around authority, rules, work ethic, etc. Obviously, I want my child to grow up to be one of the, quote, good kids. Any advice? Okay, so (laughs) I don't know if I feel like I need to say something about the good kids versus the bad kids. But I think maybe I'll just refrain from that. And I think we all know what we're talking about here. Um So it sounds like you just basically want your kid to grow up to not be an asshole and to follow the rules. So my kids are almost 17 and 19. um, And my wife and I both have degrees in sociology and anthropology in addition to our master's degrees in social work, but those came kind of after the kids were born. So the point is we're both social science people. I was a strong believer in nurture over nature. I believed that, that right up until my daughter was about three days old, And then at that point, it was abundantly clear that she was a totally different human than her sister. And they are still completely different humans. I happen to like them both, but they're really different. So not everything is under our control as parents. Kids come into this world with their own physical and psychological makeup that will determine how things go to some extent. That having been said, I do believe that how we parent does have a big impact. When my girls were young, they were well-behaved, sweet little girls, and I can't count the number of times that people said to us, well, just wait till they're teens. 
Well, to all of those people who said that to me, fuck off. My kids are almost out of their teens now, and they never stop being great kids. So just because you fucked up your kids and they were making you crazy at the time does not mean that my kids are going to go down the same road. And in fact, they didn't. Okay. So this whole concept that we have in our culture that our kids will suddenly turn into monsters on their 13th birthday is ridiculous. If there's an expectation of rule breaking and disrespect, and if those things are tolerated by the parents because they were expected, then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and your kids will be assholes, but it doesn't need to happen that way. We were pretty strict parents. We had rules and we expected them to be followed. We also followed through with what we said we were going to do every time. Even at times when we had second thoughts about consequences, once we said it, we followed through. You know, sometimes you say to your kid, like, well, if you do this again, this is what's going to happen. And then they do it again. You're like, oh, boy, that seems a little harsh. You still do it. Because if you don't, your kids are going to learn that whatever you say doesn't actually matter. So they don't need to listen to you. So just for the record, we never hit our kids. And we rarely needed to punish them in any way, aside from taking something away, you know, when they were really young, if they weren't behaving appropriately with it, you know, like if you throw that toy again, it's going to go away for a while. Then the tears and then the recovery and life goes on. So um, a friend of of ours actually asked my daughter the other night um, what she thought we had done to shape her into the awesome kid she is today. So this is a friend who's um, trying to get pregnant and she's excited and she likes our kids and, you know, wants to know from our kids' perspective, like, you know, what did your parents do or whatever to make you not be a jerk, basically. So my daughter's answer actually made me tear up because I just didn't expect it. She said, I always felt like they respected me and I respected them. So I never wanted to behave in a way that messed that up. So boom, parenting win. As I said, we were strict when they were little. And then as they got into their teen years, we gave them a little more freedom because we trusted the choices they were making. And to this day, they still come to tell us things that I don't think most parents don't hear about because they know we'll keep those confidences and they get honest feedback about whatever they're sharing. Teens need feedback. Teens need to check in with you about what's going on. And if you don't respect what they're saying, if they don't trust that you're going to keep their secrets and give them honest feedback without punishing them, if they talk about, I don't know, you know, being at a party and drinking or smoking weed or whatever it is, as long as you don't feel like they're in imminent danger, you need to just have honest conversations with them about, you know, what's going on and whether they feel safe and if they do feel safe, why? And maybe reality check stuff if it doesn't feel totally safe. Okay, so that was a long-winded brag fest about how great my kids are. Um, But my advice to you, because you asked for it, is teach your kids limits and rules at a young age. Don't be afraid to say no and just say, like, do it this way because that's just the way it is. Short story. I used to be a massage therapist, and I had a chair massage gig at Vitamin Cottage Natural Grocers here in town. So lots of hippie moms with their totally out-of-control kids, and inevitably they wanted to have conversations with their three-year-old about why they felt the need to grab shit off the shelves and throw it around the store. Please don't be that parent. Set limits. Follow through with them so your kids drunk don't grow up thinking that they can act like little assholes as long as they can talk about their feelings. By all means, get curious about your child's feelings and motivations for their behavior, but not at the expense of good old-fashioned discipline. And I'm not talking about, like, smacking your kids around. I'm talking about setting limits and following through with them. Okay, so on a slightly different note, but kind of related, we have another email that came in. 
Um, and this person says, I live with my boyfriend and his children, grade school age. I love being part of this family. I love co-parenting. We navigate the issues of blended families very well and are fortunate to have a great working relationship with his ex. But sometimes I really struggle with feeling so jealous and envious and sad that I am never anyone's first choice. For any given celebration or consolation, the children will always want their dad first, then their mom, then me. And when household relationships or situations are present or concurrent, it is the children who get first priority, then me. This is as it should be. They are children and they need to be the priority right now. My partner is fantastic about acknowledging my contributions to the household and co-parenting. We do get regular time alone a few times a month to connect outside of the parenting household dynamic. My issue is entirely internal, and I cannot think of anyone else he could be doing anything else he could be doing to help me feel included. I'm sure doing someone else would not make you feel included. Uh, so how can I work through these occasional feelings of envy and sadness that I am adjunct to this family? Any tips for when I get especially down so I don't vent it via crankiness towards him or the kids or by retreating emotionally and then feeling even more left out? Okay, so thanks for your email. Um, this is a common dynamic that I see a lot in blended family situations, and you're doing an awesome job of clarifying for yourself that things are basically the way they should be as far as who goes to who first and who gets priority. Um, so as you said, this is an internal issue. So good job figuring that out because that's often like a big whatever shit show to try to get the client to actually get behind what that looks like and you're already there. Um, so that doesn't mean that you need to keep this always on the inside. I'm sure you've talked to your partner about your feelings. Um, if not, please start doing that more. Um, that doesn't mean that you're going to run to him every time you feel left out and insist that he make it better. It means that when this pops up for you in a particularly intense manner, you let him know. In a past episode, I talked about that drop of perfume on the windowsill. It applies here as well. Giving voice to those feelings are going to help you move them. And you can share them with your partner without the expectation that they will make them go away. That's not their job. And you can just put them out there just so that he's aware that you're feeling this way. Uh, the three things that you said you feel most are jealousy, envy, and sadness. Sadness is probably the main one, I'm guessing, uh, and that the other two are kind of driving that sadness. So there are a couple things I think that are important here. The first is to get curious about other times in your life when you felt left out, when that envy and jealousy have been present. Do you have some unresolved stuff there that's fueling these feelings now? Make sure that what you're feeling around this family dynamic actually belongs fully to this family, to this situation, and that you're not pulling things in from other times in your life. Often these kinds of feelings can, they create almost their own gravity field. And it's why we often throw stuff at our partners when we fight with them that has nothing to do with what we started fighting about. And all of a sudden there's like all the stuff in the room and all these issues that like weren't there when we were talking about why they can't ever do the fucking dishes or whatever it is that started the thing. So the more clarity you can get around what the now stuff is and what the past stuff is, the clearer you will be able to be in the moment around what's upsetting you. When it does come up, try just acknowledging it, but don't engage. Give it the old like nod from across the room, but don't go ask it to dance. The second piece is to know that these feelings are going to come up. Trying to make them go away or coming down on yourself for feeling them will only make it worse. Let them be there. They're normal, they're inevitable, and they suck, but it will get better as those kids get older. 
I would guess that there are other people in your personal and or your professional life uh, for which you are the first choice. So let those interactions in so they can counteract these other feelings that you're getting at home. They won't be enough to make those other feelings disappear, but they can give you a sense of perspective when you may need it the most. I'm also guessing that for your partner, when they need support, you are the go-to. You are the first choice. So find some solace in that. You are needed, you are wanted, you are first in line for them. And by supporting them, you're very tangibly supporting the kids, even if they don't recognize this right now. There will be a day, maybe sooner than you think, when they will get that and they will thank you. So that brings us to the end of yet another podcast episode. I hope you found a couple of nuggets you can take away with you. Feel free to call into the show and leave a voicemail. And uh, that number is 844-DURANGO. That's 844-387-2646. You can also email me at rowan at therapyforhumanspodcast.com. And anytime you email or call in, all of that is confidential. So I will never disclose your name or any other identifying information unless you specifically say that you want me to. If you'd like to see me for therapy live and in person, you can get in touch with me through DurangoPsychotherapy.com or you can give me a call at 970-903-3893. So until next week, take care of yourself and take care of each other.